Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. Good morning, New Life Kulangada. I'm excited to open the scriptures this morning, to open up the Word of God. See what he has to say. I don't know if you guys came to conference last week. There's been a few mentions of it. Um, conference was amazing. It was refreshing. Um, we got the privilege of gathering as a congregation at Rabina. Uh, we got some great speakers and some great worship. But for me, the highlight wasn't anything that happened from the stage. The highlight was both on the Saturday and on the Sunday. We got to gather as a, as a people of God and see that renewal and the calling of God, the call to worship, to praise and to know him better, that was a communal thing. We lent in as a family, and we saw God do beautiful things. We, as his people, got to know him better. So I'm enthused. I'm on a high from conference. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open them up uh, to the first letter of Peter. We're going to be starting in verse 3. But while you do that, if you haven't met me before, my name is David Skembry. I get the absolute pleasure of being one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And today, we are launching a brand new series. And it's going to be a series that goes through and explores the, uh, the letter called First. Peter. And you may wonder, well, who is this Peter guy? What made him so special that he gets in the Bible? Not once, but enough times to get the number one before his, his name. Um, well, Peter was, Peter was a disciple. Uh, of who? Of Jesus. What, what that tells us is something really important about the character of Peter, about the nature of Peter. Peter had experience, life experience, walking beside God himself when God came onto this earth. He knew the way he responded to the little moments, the way he laughed, the kinds of jokes he made. He saw him in the miraculous, and he saw him in the heartbreaking. Peter was there. He was a friend. And there's this one incredible moment in Peter's life. Peter actually wasn't always called Peter. In fact, if Peter was to write a letter before Jesus came involved, it would have been called First Simon, because his real name, his birth name, was Simon. And that word literally means a reed. It is uh, an object that is blown about by its environment, something that is shaped and molded by the things around it. And Jesus steps into his life and says, hey, you shaky reed, Simon, I'm going to stop calling you that from now on. And here's what you should be called instead. I'm going to call you Peter. Peter. And that word means a rock. Something that can't be blown about or shaped so easily by its environment. And that was the blessing. And the reason that's so important for Peter uh, is that his life, of all the people in the New Testament, of all the people we see walking with Jesus, Peter was the one who got in trouble the most. Peter was the one who kind of got scolded, not really, but kind of got told off and had to get shown the most amount of grace, I would say publicly at least, uh, of, of any of the disciples In his life, throughout the time he spent with Jesus, it was marked by these moments of incredible passion where he would just say something and probably only realize what he said after he said it, and then Jesus would go, it's probably not right. Or other moments where he wouldn't say something for fear of how the whole environment around him might judge, criticize, or turn on him. 
And as he went through life, he slowly and surely saw the Spirit of God and the work of Jesus refine his heart to go from a Simon to a Peter. And as his ministry went on, he eventually went to a city called Rome. And in Rome, he was building the church. Jesus was building the church, I should say, through him. And uh, early on, in the early 60s, um, he was sitting there, and times were getting tough. There was an emperor called Nero, who was a certified lunatic, and genuinely. um, And and Nero, they say the years to come, what Nero would do in the next couple of years, actually is comparable and generally considered even worse, and this is just for context, not comparison, um, even worse than what we consider when we think of how, how Jewish people were treated by Nazi Germany. Worse even than that. He was horrible the way he tortured and hurt and hated Christians. And these days were brewing. They were coming soon. And there was a sense of fear, a sense of of tension in the air. And Peter looked out over the Christian church spread around the countries, and he felt a conviction of the Holy Spirit to write a letter to one region in particular. And this region is called Asia Minor. It's it's modern-day Turkey. And he wrote a letter. And And this letter was designed not to go to one church, but to circulate around the churches as an encouragement for one purpose, that people reading this letter might open up this letter and see that those suffering might be universal. Suffering for a Christian is uniquely hope-filled. Uniquely hope-filled. And that's a beautiful, beautiful news for us. Today. Now, two things I want to preface with. The first is this. That is, this letter is not Peter saying, hey, when, you, when something bad happens to you, don't get sad. That isn't what Peter's saying. This letter isn't how to not be saddened by, by suffering. And this isn't a letter about how to avoid suffering altogether. Peter harmonizes attention throughout this letter, throughout this whole thing, where he invites his people, sorry, Jesus' people, the Christian people, to see that even in the mourning and in the heartbreak and in the hurt of harder days, even as the pain is glaring and our souls are weeping, still in the midst of that moment, without dampening the pain at all, Christians have a unique cause to rejoice, to find hope, and to navigate it, never defeated. So that's exciting. What, what does he say? How does he launch it? Well, it starts in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Read it with me. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, 
They searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord God, I thank you that you are present. The Spirit of God, you have a blessing today through your word for each and every one of us. That holy God, suffering is not something you gawk at, it is not something you're afraid of, and it's not something you reply with the phrase tough enough to. But rather, God, with empathy and with love and with care, as only a father can to their beloved children, you intervene with hope. And you invite us to see, to taste, and to live out of the joy of your gospel and your goodness. So Holy Spirit, here's what I pray. Would you come be close? Would you come be present today? Would you be the comforter you've promised that you are in Scripture? Would you remove any words that aren't necessary? And would you highlight those words of gold that you wish to be said? We love you. Jesus, in your perfect name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, can you think back to the last time that you received a gold nugget of wisdom. Like someone just randomly out of the blue just kind of stepped into the scene and just said something so profound that you were kind of like stumped. And you just, they just moved on and you were just thinking about it for days. Anyone had a moment like that? A few years ago... I had a really good friend, and he was one of those people who just couldn't get enough of self-help books. You know, those kind of people, you know, 12 Rules to Life, Slide Edge. He's read everything you could imagine. He watched, you know, um, Jordan Peterson every day. He frothed all those inspirational videos on YouTube, all of it. And he used to just regurgitate wisdom all the time. And it used to be quite irritating, I'm not going to lie. And I can honestly tell you I've forgotten 90, probably like 95% of everything he used to say because he used to come with this kind of attitude of, oh, I'm going to bless you today. <laughs> Do I have a nugget for you? And I would be like, oh, can we not just hang out? Anyway, but he came to me one day and he said, hey, I read this in a book. Lean in, why don't you listen? And this is how it went. He said, there was a man and he was traveling through the mountains. And as he traveled through the mountains, he came upon an old mountaineer. Now, this mountaineer was busy climbing up this mountain himself, traveling, hiking, looking at the sights, and with him, he had two dogs. And this man thought, well, I could do with a bit of company, so he hung alongside the mountaineer for a short time. And as he watched the relationship between the dogs, he noticed that they were both the same size, both the same breed, both had the same size teeth, and both of them had the same temperament. They loved to fight one another. They were always attacking each other. And after a while of seeing this, the visitor turned to the mountaineer and he said, hey, your dogs, they fight a lot. And the mountaineer laughed and he said, which one normally wins? And the old mountaineer, he, he studied for a moment. He thought, oh, that's a pretty good question. For some reason, he spat over a fence. Don't know where the fence came from. And then he looked back to this guy and he said, you know, the one that wins tends to be the one that I feed the most. After reading the story, my friend, he turned to me and he said, hey, David, I reckon we all have two dogs living inside of us. And I wonder which one you're feeding. I was like, oh, here we go. And he goes, yeah, because that's the one that will win. 
Now, in the moment, I rolled my eyes. I thought, that's a little bit pretentious, but thank you. And um, I moved on. But this idea did stick with me. It resonated with my soul. And I think it's this idea that Peter was actually alluding to when he opens his letter. Because he opens it up, and he seems to imply that you've all heard the voice of suffering. Like, he doesn't even mention what suffering might be saying to you. It's implied a universal experience that we all know the voice of pain. We all know the voice of defeat. We all know the voice of insecurity. We all know that voice of weightiness, of failing, of of that voice that cries out, this is all going downhill and it's never turning around. Well, of course it's happening to you. Yeah, you should have seen this coming, shouldn't you? We all know the voice of defeat. And so what Peter does is from the offset, he says, let me remind you of another voice. Another voice. One that we need to make a point of feeding in every season. My hope today is that we might realize that we have two voices living inside of us. Two opposing voices that are trying to shape our sense of reality. Trying to shape what we take to be true. And like Peter, my hope is that we would truly become less like reeds and more like rocks when we face the inevitable storms of life that are coming, whether we like it or not. And for many in this room, those storms have come and are still here right now and are going to come again in the future. And weathered people know that there is hope in the midst of storms, that there is a way through, that we are not defeated. In 1 Peter 1.6, Peter actually opens up and he says, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So what does Peter know about suffering? What does Peter know about suffering? He walked with Jesus, didn't he? I'll tell you what he knows about suffering. He was Jewish. And and that tells us something about his knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, He he knows that we were never made for suffering. You see, all the way back in the beginning, it's not a hard-to-find book. The first book, the first page of the Bible, we read a story of our God creating a garden. And in that garden, he cultivated peace and order and beauty and thriving and life and harmony between all people. He put tree of life in the middle of it. It was beautiful and it was stunning. And there was no suffering. There was no death. There was no weeping. There was no loss. There was no anxiety. There were no fears. And there was no deeply seated temptation or grief inside of us to sin. There was no rebellion inside of us. And Peter knows this. And he knows the character and nature of a God who is calling a people home. He's calling a people home. That God is not a God who was ever for suffering. And so from that mindset, Peter begins to ask and answer, how does he reconcile the reality of the suffering that Christians are experiencing every day with the promise of God from the beginning that we were never made for that kind of pain to begin with? And this is the shape of the first half of the first chapter First Peter. In brief, what he does is he challenges us, like that mountaineer with his dogs, to recognize that there is actually a fight happening right now in this room, in this moment. Friends, don't just listen. Don't just spectate. Recognize the reality. There is a fight happening right now between two dogs, two voices, happening inside of us at this moment. And the one that will win is the one that we feed the most. There is a voice of defeat but there is also a voice of victory. There's a voice of insecurity, but there's also a voice of identity. Friends, there is a voice of striving, but there's also a voice of peace. 
of rest and of assurance. And perhaps in this room you go, I don't believe that. I don't hear this voice of victory. All I hear is the voice of defeat. I want to tell you this with absolute clarity and certainty. No matter the stage of life you're in, no matter the walk you're going through, no matter how difficult or how tough it is, my hope is that by the end of this sermon, you would know for sure that there is, from the Bible, a guarantee that there is a voice of life being proclaimed into your heart from Scripture, from Christians, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter the season. No matter the season. And we got to feed that voice because when we do, we will find an experience of life, suffering, and pain that is unlike anything else. Anything else. In fact, this very idea of two voices fighting for our attention, uh, it's not just a Peter thing. Paul describes the same thing in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. He says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, pretension means lie, that sets itself. Everybody say, take captive. Oh, I didn't feel like you meant it, but it's okay. We'll move on. Friends, there are some strongholds. There are some areas of defeat. There are some areas of fear and of deception that I believe haven't just ensnared me, but have ensnared each of us in different ways in this room. Right? I believe that in this room there are strongholds built on lies about who God is and what his truth means for us as individuals. And the voice of this liar is nattering at our hearts and our heads day and night. And I wonder if you actually know what I'm talking about really, really well. I have a feeling you might. But I wonder whether today you could do something, something bold. And take heart. Choose in this moment to believe that this, that this doesn't have to be the way. That there can be a voice. There can be a reality. Not for the person next to you, for you in this room. Something can break. Something can shift. Today a voice can speak louder. And it's a voice of reality and hope and truth. Paul says it again in Romans 12 too. He says it this way. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Friends, when our minds are renewed, when the old and broken lives are beaten back, when we experience this renewing of our minds and our hearts, we get to know more about the character and nature of God and can boldly walk through any season in that reality. But it's only as our minds are renewed. And even Jesus said this in John 10, 27. He was speaking in parables, speaking about shepherds and using that as an image of the church. And he says this, my sheep, that is the church, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When we listen to his voice, when we listen to his voice, we get to know that Jesus knows us. He cares about us. He's involved in our life. He knows us. And then we follow him because we trust him. But it starts with listening to his voice. This is the reality. There are good days and there are bad days. But no matter what, suffering is part of the human condition. You don't have to go, man, am I the only person in this room going through anything? No. And there are people in this room who have been afraid and have been hiding and have been putting on a strong face and a big fat mask for so long when they come to church and when you come and hang out with your friends that it is getting weary and heavy. But what that mask has done, it's made your neighbor think that you don't have any problems and they're isolated in their pain. But the reality is, is if you look around this room today, 100% of the people who have stepped in are suffering through something, struggling with something. 
They have heard the nattering of defeat, the nattering of victimization, the nattering of pain, and they're hearing it even right now. That's why they feel they have to put a mask on. 100% of people. Trials, temptations, setbacks, losses, days of hopelessness, days of sorrow, days of mourning. Whatever season we're in, even if it doesn't feel too bad for this moment right now, Peter offers us a framework of truth, a voice of truth. He tells us and outlines the dog we got to feed if we want to see a victory, if we want to endure the harder days coming or already upon us. And here are the three that he gives us, the three voices he gives us in this. The first is, is the voice of what we have in Christ. The second is the voice of what it's worth to suffer. And the third is the voice of where it lands forever. What Christ has given us, suffering isn't all bad. It's pretty bad. It's not all bad. And there is an end. It lands somewhere. We've got to know these three things, and we've got to feed what the Bible tells us about these three things. So let's just dive in. Let's see what the first one. Listen to the voice of what we have in Christ. In uh, verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Each year at New Life, uh, the staff, we take a few days to retreat. That is to, to go away for a few days, be refreshed, kind of be a little bit fed, worship Jesus together, find our hearts a little bit more orientated around the vision that we believe God's put on the heart of this church. And as we went last year, we sat in circles kind of with our local teams, and I was sitting with the Cooling Gatta crew, and we had a task, out, map out a bunch of the celebrations, the wins, the God moments, the huge and pivotal celebratory moments that happened in the last 12 months. And, and, and you know, everyone went in a circle and classic, everyone was fantastic at it. And then it came to me and my brain went fuzzy. And I was like, oh no, I don't remember. And I was like, I know God's moved. I know he's done wonderful things. I've been a part, I've seen it happen. But boy, I couldn't name a single one. And I realized as I was writing this sermon, I realized even back then, that one of my biggest problems is that I have a tendency to be so distractible, moving from need to need, from crisis to crisis, from distraction to distraction, that I don't notice what I've got in front of me right now, the cause I have to celebrate. And I think this might be what Peter is alluding to in this section of text, as he invites us to see what we have in Christ, not to move so fast that there comes a day where someone says, so why are you even a Christian? And you go, whew, boy, I couldn't even tell you. But that we might walk through life every day refreshed by the blessing of what it is to be found in Christ. And I think we find in the scriptures, the reason we find ourselves blessed, Peter outlines it right at the beginning. In verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his great mercy, everybody say mercy. mercy. Everybody say it like you think it's a good thing. Mercy. Come on, thank you. Mercy. Friends, have you tasted this mercy? Do you know how much mercy he's poured out over you? Do you know how much mercy God has poured out over you? Do you know how much? Friends, it's enough. It's not almost enough. It's not you just pepper it with a bit of seasoning of your own good works, and that'll be enough. Friends, it says in, Rome, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, that he is rich in mercy, and it's the richness of his mercy that pours out over us 
that makes a way for us to know we are safe, held, and loved. It's enough that he can gift us. It continues by saying he has given us new birth. Guys, you're going to find me really annoying real quick, but we're doing it other way. Friends, say new birth. birth. Say it loudly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Enough mercy that our old self, our first birth, our old birth, everything tied to it, the woundedness, the brokenness, the sinfulness, the temptations, the trials, the hurts, all of it, everything associated with it was picked up and buried, dealt with, dead, done. And our new selves could be born. Enough mercy that there's not a strand, there's not an element, there's not a remnant, there's not even a bad smell of your old self left in the eyes of Jesus before you. Enough mercy that you are entirely a new creation. And if you don't think this is a big deal, go back and read the New Testament. See how many times Paul and Peter and John and even Jesus pointed to the idea of a new identity because for them, this was everything. Only when we grasp that there's enough mercy for the old self to be dealt with and for us to be a new creation in Christ Jesus will we truly grasp the riches that we have. Why? Because that new creation is into a living hope. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, friends? Say it out loud. Living hope. Living hope. Hey, that was pretty good. Nice. Friends, a living hope is a hope that's alive. It sounds simple, but it's helpful to hear it. A living hope, it's not just nice words. It's a hope that's not dead. It's a hope that's not once alive, was alive, past alive. It's a hope that's alive right now. It's a hope that in this moment, in your life, in your story, is able to live, to have its being, its breath, and to thrive in the midst of that circumstance that you are feeling debilitated, wounded, or weary from. This is the truth. It is a living hope that we can bank on, a hope we can believe on, and a hope that will not be defeated by any darkness or any weight of death. Why? Because in this hope, we find death itself defeated. So how could it ever die? Come on. Come on. Good, we got some enthusiasm in the room. Because this is good news. This is good news. All through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A long-winded but simple sentence by which we should find our joy and rejoicing each day when we wake up. I wonder, friends, do you know the marvelous reason you have to celebrate? Have you tasted the reality of the joy, what we have in this moment, no matter the season? When was the last time you really let this good news sink in? When was the last time you stood there and let it wash over you? When was the last time you woke up and you felt doubtful, defeated, sinful, stained, apathetic, wounded, unlovable, insecure, like you hadn't done enough, like surely he couldn't love you? And you saw in the face of this and you cried out, no, no. For God's mercy is great. No. I've been made a new creation. I have a new birth. My hope is alive. My hope is alive. Yes, Jesus is enough. That's what I say to my defeat. That's what I say to my insecurity. That's what I say to my pain. I am a new creation. 
And he has got me, and he loves me, and his grace, his mercy is sufficient, and I know he's for me and not against me, because that's who he is. When was the last time we woke up and declared it? In the midst of our suffering, we've got to take the time to remember the blessings we have in the gospel. That's number one. Number two, we've got to listen to the voice of what it's worth to suffer. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, these have come, these being trials, suffering, grief. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I don't know if you know anything about refining gold. I sure didn't. I read this and went, cool, gold. That sounds nice. I'd like some. And then I thought I should probably Google what does refining gold look like or mean. So I did, and it was a really cool picture, a really cool article I read um, that kind of highlighted it for me. You see, when they refine gold, what it does is it causes the impurities, the defects, to rise to the surface so everybody can see them. Oh, that sounds scary. I don't know if I want that to happen over me. But then if it endures being refined for long enough, they start to vanish. It's not hidden defects. It's gone. It's healed. It becomes pure. And it's this idea that in trial and in suffering, our faith like that gold is heated up to a point that we begin to see where our faith is deficient. And in the midst of enduring and choosing to feed the voice where we celebrate what we have, where we celebrate that our God is able in this moment, and when we celebrate what's to come, we choose faith and feed the voice of faith in these moments. Our faith is refined and becomes purer. It's not to God we're proving the genuineness of our faith. It's to ourself and to our life and to the world around us. And so we're, we're walking. We're walking through life. And then a bill comes. It's a bill I can't afford to pay. I lose a job. Well, how am I going to pay my rent? Life just keeps getting more and more expensive, and I'm getting scared. <laughs> or I get a, a diagnosis. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a lot of pain. And it's a season of wounding, and I just don't know how to navigate it. Or I wake up, and the anxiety is just riddling my soul. I just, it's just, I'm scared. I don't know how to get up. I don't know how to go. There are things I want to do, but I just feel bound. And just this, it's like my insides have turned on me mentally. I don't know what to do. It's in these moments. In these moments, we learn the impurities in our faith. And it's not a bad thing. We don't go, oh my gosh, I'm so guilty and condemned by having purities to our faith. No, 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 we celebrate. We celebrate. Because in these moments, we know that as we endure and we feed the voice of faith, these impurities will become purities. We will see our God move and he will make holes so that no financial, financial issue could threaten me again. No health issue could debilitate me again. No mental health struggle could bring me down to my knees in crumbling defeatism again. The ultimate truth is that in our suffering, we find how we truly view God. Do we see him like our angry dad punishing us? Do we see him like an absent mom distant from us? Do we see him through the way we see ourselves, filled with insecurity and failures? Or do we see him the way the enemy or fear portrays him, as though he's holding out of us? He's just this chess player using us to complete, utilitarian-wise, using us to complete his master tactician agenda with no concern for us as the person. Suffering trials reveals how we view God, and it highlights to us the thoughts we've got to take to take it captive and to bring it in alignment with what's true. 
Romans 5, 3 to 5 says it this way. Not only so, so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Are you mental? We glory in our sufferings? <sighs> Come and live in the real world, mate. He does. And he says, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And that hope won't put us to shame. There'll never come a day where we'll go, oh my gosh, I hoped so much for this, and in the end it never happened. And we'll be embarrassed and feel like we've been let down. No, that hope will never put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When our faith is refined and drawn to greater genuineness, we find fear slipping off of our lives. There is no fear in perfect love. Perfect love drives out of fear. 1 John 4, 18. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears hasn't been made perfect in love. What is that saying? If we know the love of God, we can face any circumstance without fear because we know the character and nature of our God. We know he is for us and not against us. And we know that the world won't speak a louder narrative about his care for us than he does. In the moment of suffering, when the world says, yeah, of course you're suffering, he doesn't love you. We go, well, actually, I know my God's perfect love. So I will not be afraid, even as it hurts. And I'll say, my God will work this out for good. Why? Because I've gotten to know him, I love him, I trust him. And it's hard. I'm not minimizing. But we got to choose it. we got to choose it. I wonder, do you believe that God is able to work for good through the suffering, the loss, and the pain in your life? Pain in the past and pain to come, pain you're going through right now. Would you choose faith? Would you feed the voice of faith? Because in the midst of our suffering, we've got to take the time to remember the blessings we have in the gospel. And we've got to remember that even the substance of our suffering, God will use to produce a good thing. And I want to add one subnote. I think this is really helpful, really important. This doesn't mean it'll be any less painful. That's not his promise. This isn't a commentary on our feelings in hard times. Guys, mourn with those who mourn is a biblical command. Jesus wept. Why? Was he faithless? He wept for a guy he was about to raise from the dead. Why? Because there are moments where weeping and mourning, sorrow, sadness, suffering, and grief, they'll happen in our life, and the only right response is to mourn. This is not Peter saying, don't you ever feel sad again. What this is is a simple framework for how we process life and our thoughts in these seasons. What, what wolf, what voice will we feed? This isn't a sermon saying, here's three, we three ways to never feel sorrow again. <laughs> I wish. It's a sermon saying, even when we're sad, we have hope. Even when it hurts, we have a future. Even when it's dangerously hard for us, God is, in fact, actively in love with us. And that is a good thing for us. Number three, we listen to the voice of where it lands forever. 1 Peter 1, 4-5 says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Hallelujah. Friends, God may use your pain for good, but he has never, ever been the author of your pain. Friends, in fact, the Bible teaches us not only is he not the author of your pain, he is, in fact, the end of it. There is a day coming where he will wipe every tear away. No, not, not, not a, t- a tear is equal to the amount of good works you've done. Not tear is equal to the, your nature or your character. He will wipe every tear away. Why? Because he loves you. 
That day is coming. That is who our God is. A day is coming where the sorrow, the pain, the sickness, the illness, the crippling anxieties, and every other woe in life will no longer bound, bind us, but instead we will celebrate the presence of our King. And my question is, when was the last time you let your heavenly imagination go wild for what this day will look like? When was the last time you fed your heart with the true reality that's coming your way soon? Friends, this isn't an if, this is a when. Jesus isn't saying a day might come. Listen to me. You will spend more of your life in what you right now consider a more like a fairy tale and fiction than reality. You will spend more of your life there by a significant margin than you've ever spent in the suffering and the pain of this world. There will come a day where you will go, wow, suffering sounds like fiction. Surely not. Surely we didn't once live like that because we will spend eternity in the presence and the goodness and the joy and the wonder of God in community and relationship, enjoying his creativity and his love. I wonder whether you could activate your um, spiritual imaginations even right now. I invite you, close your eyes. I'm just going to read some words from scripture over you from Isaiah and from Revelation. And as I read them, I just invite you to, to imagine them. And if you don't have a very good imagination, it's actually healthy to try. So, hey, this is a healing for all of us. It's going to be great. But I'm going to read it. Close your eyes. Go ahead. Do it now. It says, our eyes will see the king. That's our God in his beauty. And we will view a land that stretches afar. In our thoughts, we will ponder that former terror. And we'll go, where is that chief officer? You will see arrogant people no more, people whose speech is obscure. You will look on Zion, the city of festivals, and your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes ever broken. There, the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be a place of broad rivers and streams. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Then an abundance of spoils will be defended, and even the weakest will carry off plunder. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Revelation says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, which is an image of sin and chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husbands. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give a water without cost from the spring of the water of the life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. That's our future. A day is coming. The pains and the wounds of this world will be undone. Newness and redemption will rest in their place. Feel free to open your eyes. Because of the gift of the gospel, we are those victorious, Jesus, God spoke about in there. Because of the work of Jesus, we have an inheritance that we won't lose. 
This is our inheritance, that one day we will sit close to our God with no veil nor sin between us, no doubt, no apathy between us. We will enjoy his radiance, his love, his creativity, and his immense undeserved care for us. This is our future. Friends, if you believe on the name of Jesus for your salvation, this faith for he who promised is faithful. Would we hold unswervingly? Would we feed these voices of life and of hope? Would we go throughout our days? In the seasons of plenty, would we store up for the seasons of sorrow? In the seasons of sorrow, would we press on and choose it anyway? Would we feed the voices of life in us that what we have in the gospel is a rich treasure? a rich treasure, that even in this suffering, God is able to make a good thing, and that in a day to come, it'll all land in a beautiful place for us. This is our future. This is our future. Why? Because our Jesus gave it all for us. Because our Jesus gave it all for us. We might complain about suffering in our imperfect and broken world. Jesus never had to suffer, and he chose to. Hebrews says, it's for the joy set before him, despising the shame he endured the cross. What was the joy that you and I may be welcomed into his loving arms and may come home? How about we pray? Lord, I thank you that you are beautiful, that your love has never failed, that your grace has never given up, that today you want to do a good and beautiful work in this place. The Spirit of God, you are a blessing spirit, that you are a spirit of gentleness, kindness, healing, and breakthrough. And today we will see the reality of that in a fresh and wonderful way. Lord, thank you that you want to heal hearts in this room. Jesus, thank you that you are calling people home and you did it by the power of your love. You know, perhaps in this room, you'd never heard of the love of Jesus in such a profound and beautiful way before. Perhaps you didn't know how much God was for you. And so all eyes are closed and all heads are bowed. And I want to just give you one quick moment to respond. If this is you, if you've heard the gospel of Jesus and you want to give your life to him, you want to start a conversation with him, you want to engage him and let him come and save you, that you may taste not only eternity, but the present gift of the gospel in this life today, go ahead and raise your hand high in the air. All eyes are closed. All heads are bowed. Go ahead and raise it up so I can see. Come on. Come on. Heck yeah. Come on. Good is God. Come on. It's beautiful. Lord God, I thank you for these hand raids. I thank you, God, that you are bringing people home to yourself, that you are welcoming them with open arms, that today, Lord, there is salvation in the name of Jesus falling here, God, that you have a good and beautiful plan for your people. Lord, I praise you for this. I praise you that you would be accepted as a a good king and a trustworthy guide in our lives. And Holy Spirit, would you fall, would you fall, would you fall and bring freedom. And guys, I don't just believe this message is that unsaved or people who don't know Jesus would come home, but also I believe that this is a message that we as Christians might respond and know that today we might have breakthrough in the suffering and in the pain we're going through. And so I'm going to ask you to be bold in this room. I'm going to ask you to be bold in this room. If today you're walking through something, if today you're walking through pain, if today you're walking through wounds, if today you're feeling the, the, the voices of the enemy louder than the voices of our beautiful God, if you've been struggling to choose faith, if you've been struggling with the temptations, the trials, and the pains of life, I want to give you an invitation. We are one church. And so I'm actually just going to invite everyone in the room to stand. Go ahead and do that now. Everyone stand. Now, if this is you in the room, and today you want, you, you want to make a step 
make a stand against the voice of the enemy, I want to invite you to raise your hand in the air as Christian believers saying, no, my pain will not have the last word. If it is you, I invite you to just raise your hand high in the air. Come on. This is good. Come on. Keep them up. This is beautiful. Friends, if you're in the church today and your hand isn't up, look around and find a hand that is. How about we as a church gather around our believers and we start praying for them? How about we do that now? Go ahead and move. Get out of your seats and pray for people whose hands are in the air. Go and do that now. And as you do that, I'm going to be praying out loud too. Let's start praying. Lord God, I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace in this room. That you are not for suffering, you are not for pain, but you are a God of breakthrough and a God of healing. That a day is coming when every tear will be wiped away, where every pain will be dealt with, where every wound will be healed. There will be redemption, restoration, and freedom, and it will be ours forever with no doubt nor insecurity. I pray in this moment today, may we see a glimpse of that. Those people who were bold and raised their hands and said, today's the day. I push back the voice of insecurity. I push back the voice of the devil. I push back the voice of failure and doubt and fear. And I stand in its place on the voice of the gospel and the good news of Jesus and my hope to come. I pray in them when we see freedom. I pray for them, Lord, when we see healing. I pray for them when we see breakthrough. Let there be miracles in this place, Jesus. In your perfect and mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.